This morning, if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we only got through four verses last week, an important four verses, and the rest of the chapter really kind of elaborates uh, on, on this answer to man's dilemma. And I, I want to encourage you, and I think it's, it's hard. I don't know how many of you were affected by the shooting in Connecticut, but when I first saw it, I just started bawling. I mean, I just can't, I can't fathom how, how anybody can, could do that to children. You know, I don't really get it for anybody, but the hope that we have is not the hope of this life. And as the Lord was ministering to me, as I was just praying for these families that have just had their hearts ripped out, I realized that the hope that we hope in is the hope of the resurrection. It's the fact that this life isn't the end of it. Because if it is, just as Paul is going to say in this passage, we are the most miserable of all people. Because if there's not something after this, then it really means that all that we get All that there is, is whatever this life brings. And for us, sometimes it's not good stuff. Sometimes it's horrific. Sometimes it's pain. Sometimes it's anguish. It's things we don't understand. It's wars. It's rumors of wars. It's things going on in our world that that we don't have answers for. And so this morning, last time, we saw that we have this tremendous witness of the resurrected Christ. And now you might ask the question, well, what about me? What about us? What is it that happens? You know, there you can go to your local Barnes & Noble. You know, pretty soon I think bookstores are going to maybe not even exist. I mean, it's kind of crazy how everything is becoming electronic. But for now, you can still go to a bookstore. And I happen to love books. I like the feel of the pages. I like turning the pages. I like reading a newspaper. I will not read the newspaper online. I'll read little, you know, articles or whatever. But I like to feel the paper. You can go and pick up books in great number about what happens after death. Ten people you'll meet in heaven. Thirty seconds in heaven. There's all these accounts of people having experienced something either after dying here, maybe on the operating table, or they maybe they believed that they were dead and weren't. We don't know. But we know this. There is a commonality that most people have experienced who've lived through uh, that experience of maybe uh, having their heart stop or whatever, that they often come back and express something like, I saw a great light. I was looking down a dark tunnel, and there at the end of it was like You get this same basic story over and over again. It's not a mass hallucination. There is something after this life. And so Paul goes on now to elaborate on you and I, because Jesus defeated death. He has not taken that full victory, by the way, and I think you need to keep that in view because Revelation chapter 20 uh, gives us a picture that one day Jesus is actually going to wrap up death in its finiteness, and he's going to cast that into hell as well. There'll be no more dying. For right now, he simply defeated it because we who are alive in Christ, if we die, we live. 
But one day he's actually going to finish off death itself. And to prove that, he's given us this beautiful picture as we pick up in verse 5 this morning. Here in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for the promise that we have of eternal life. And Lord, we do want to lift up those families, Lord, both in Connecticut and Father here in Fashion Island and Newport. Lord, the world is just coming apart at the seams. We pray for those that are being killed by their own government in Syria and rioting in Egypt, God. The the answer to all of this is you, Jesus. Lord, we, we ask that you would pour out your mercy and pour out your grace upon those families that have suffered great tragedy this week. We ask that you'd tenderly cradle those parents, Lord, siblings. God, we're just so ever amazed at your plan that, Lord, only you could take all of this tragedy and through the blood of Jesus Christ reconcile us to eternal life. We pray that those who hear the message would receive it. We bless you. We thank you. We praise you this morning. Use this time in your word to strengthen your church. Bless us as your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in verse 5, now we hear all of these eyewitness accounts, and it says he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve apostles. And as I shared with you last time, it's very important that you recognize these were people who personally knew Jesus Christ. They were not going to be easily fooled. Secondarily, there were people who actually had a relationship with Jesus Christ. They didn't just know about him. It wasn't like you and I could say, well, we know, you know, a movie star. We, we know them because we've seen them. These guys spent time with Jesus Christ. Most of them spent at least three and a half years with Jesus Christ. They knew who Jesus was. They knew his voice, they knew his mannerisms, they knew what he looked like. These are eyewitness accounts of people who would ultimately then turn around and sacrifice their own life for exactly that testimony and no other reason. In other words, as Peter loses his life, as Paul would lose his life, as all of the apostles would lose their lives for the testimony of Christ, as John would be imprisoned on the island of Patmos, they were imprisoned for the testimony of the fact that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead and he was alive. That's why they died. Again, powerful eyewitness testimony. And after that, verse 6 says, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. I shared with you last time as we ended, this is the only time in all of Scripture that this event is mentioned. But it is a mass event. 500 witnesses of a single person or a single event would be enough to validate at any level that this actually happened. These people also would go on. And the reason I believe this mass event is recorded is because now it's not just people who hung out with Jesus. Notice the progression here. You could have maybe said, well, of course Peter would say that. Of course the apostles would say that. But what about 500 people who saw him all at once? If you had that happen on any event in human history, 
and it was recorded that they all saw him at once. They went on to testify of that event. It is considered a surety. Most likely this happened, this happened in Galilee. Most likely it was people who had heard about and known about Jesus. It may well have been maybe some of the people who were fed in one of the mass feedings, the feeding of the 5,000 or the 3,000. Perhaps it was people from his hometown. We don't know. But again, it is a large group simultaneously who say, that's Jesus Christ from Nazareth. As they see him, they add to a very long list, and I will just give you these very quickly. You have Mary Magdalene. You have the other women at the tomb. These are all recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John here in 1 Corinthians. You have Peter in Jerusalem. You have two travelers along the road. You you have ten disciples behind closed doors. You have all eleven disciples, including Thomas, gathered together. You have seven disciples that are fishing at the Sea of Galilee. You have the eleven disciples on the mountain in Galilee. You have this account, more than 500 people in one place. You have the half-brother of Jesus, James, who's going to be mentioned next. And you have those who watched the Lord ascend unto heaven. This is a massive group of unrelated eyewitnesses, and that's really all you need to gather from it. These people all saw him. They all knew him. They could make that case that, hey, I knew it was Jesus. I was there when he was crucified. I saw him. And so it says, and then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And of course, James would have known, and James would go on really to be the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and he would carry that testimony with him until it cost him his life. And last of all, it says in verse 8, I saw him too, long after the others, as though I had been born at the wrong time. And of course, this is Paul's conversion experience that he's recounting as he's on the road to Damascus. And, And remember, that as he's taking up the case to go kill Christians, he's convinced in his heart, he's convinced in his mind, that Jesus Christ is someone different than everyone else, by the Lord himself. He's not just an apparition. he's, He's very much convinced, and so much so, that he himself is converted to Christ. And so... All of these people, we're not told what each one of them thought. And in fact, we know that it wasn't in James's case that James didn't come to faith in Jesus Christ until he saw his own half-brother raised from the dead. He's wandering around going, well, you know, my brother's kind of got a little Messiah complex. Just kind of, you know, humor him a little bit. You know, he's been doing this for a long time ever since I've known him. But finally, because of the resurrection... He believes. And so if he is raised, this brings this question to light for all of us. What happens after we die? Where is it that people go? What happens to us at that last breath that we take on this earth? Because as I shared with you last time, each one of us, every person on earth, has been created eternal. You're going to exist someplace after this life. The only question is, as I shared with you, is where? Where are you going to be? What are you going to be doing? Who are you going to be hanging out with? And you got two options. 
One is faith in Christ, which brings eternal life in the presence of God. The other is not believing in Christ, which will bring you eternal judgment, pain, and sorrow. There's saints, there's ain'ts. There's heaven, there's hell. And God forces no one to go either place. The choice is yours. The choice is ours. The choice is mankind's. And so Paul goes on, and we're going to try and bite off a pretty good chunk of Scripture this morning. Verse 9, this is a very long chapter with a single focus. For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul's just simply being honest. He's not so much self-deprecating. He is expounding on how marvelous the grace of God is. Isn't that awesome? Think about it for a second. You ever wondered about yourself? Maybe you consider yourself to be unworthy. You know what? Paul was about as unworthy of the grace of God as anybody could be. Amen? He was a hater of God's people. He was a hater of the believers in Jesus Christ. He was on his way to kill them when the grace of God fell upon him. And so maybe you know somebody who thinks they're outside of the grace of God. If Paul could end up an apostle, I'm pretty sure the Lord can save anybody. If Paul could end up in the place that we find him in church history, then I'm pretty sure he can deal with your funky cousin or your weird aunt or maybe your parents or whoever that you're, you're not sure. How can they possibly ever respond to the gospel message? Paul was on his way to murder Christians when Jesus Christ got a hold of them. That gives me great hope for those people that have hard hearts. And I would encourage you to hold on to that hope. All the apostles, I think of all of them, he was drawn from the deepest depths of sin so far as we can see. From what we know about Scripture, he's the guy that was rescued from the deepest pit. And as he goes on to to live his life, he lives it with complete abandon to the cause of the gospel of grace. He's handed immense privilege and immense responsibility. And so when you think about yourself, maybe you're in that category, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this on Wednesday. Maybe you think you're insignificant. Maybe you think you don't matter. Maybe you think that God can't use you. It's not true. God can use anyone. When your heart is surrendered to the grace of God, He can use anyone. He can transform and renew and refresh and make us into something that is more than we could have possibly imagined. And so He goes on in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen? Anybody else have that as a life verse? By the grace of God, I am what I am. When I look back on my own life, and perhaps you do too, you look back and you say, man, God's grace. Oh, how it's sufficient. There there is no substitute for it. There's nothing else that replaces the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I wouldn't be here today were it not for God's grace. I wouldn't be here for without the resurrected Christ. I'd still be dead in my trespasses and sins. And I believe with all my heart I would actually be dead awaiting judgment. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of, blood of Christ. 
And his grace to me was not without effect. The grace of God is effectual. You ever wondered when you confront people and their issues of sin in their life, why sometimes they don't respond to it? Because confrontation and acknowledgement rarely causes change. It's the grace of God that causes change. It's the love of God that causes change. It's the hope that we have in Christ that causes change. It's not just simply identifying the problem. A lot of people get caught up in identifying the problem. They go, oh, well, you've got this or you've got that. We have to show the answer. We have to give the cause that's able to save. And see, that's the grace of God. Paul understood that. It wasn't without effect. But I want you to notice his position previously. No, I worked harder than all of them, and yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. See, Paul had to play a little catch-up. I kind of look at myself this way sometimes. You know, I spent some time wandering away from the Lord. I've been in ministry for a long time now, two and a half decades. But I spent some time in my uh, early 20s and into my early 30s where I was really not walking with the Lord. And I've kind of always felt like I needed to play some catch-up. had to work a little harder than everybody else because I wasted, I squandered some of God's time that he had uh, ministered his grace to me. And I think that's how Paul kind of thought. You ever wondered why he had so much zeal for the Lord? I think he recognized from where he had come and how important that is that we recognize from where we have come. That we look back on our lives and not that we beat ourselves up. Please don't do that because it really doesn't accomplish anything. But that you recognize where you've come from. That the grace of God has worked in your life and all of a sudden here you are today and you're thankful and you work hard at being who God wants you to be. I always tell people that come and maybe they've got some problem. I said if you would work as hard at following God as you did in your sin, you'll be doing fine. You remember how much effort you used to put into your sin? Isn't it crazy how much time we would spend thinking about the things that we would do that are dishonoring to the Lord and investing our time and talent and treasure in those things? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to give God everything that I have now because he's given me everything I am. And he goes on. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. And whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believe. And so whether it's man's effort or whether it's God's grace, both of them to God be the glory. Amen? Because God gives us the, the, the ability to put forth solid effort. And I think we need to be careful not to just say, well, you know, grace, man, grace, man. Though it's true that God's grace is sufficient, we honor the Lord through the effort that we put into making sure people know about God's grace by living it, obeying, being who he called us to be. And that's really all Paul's saying here. He says, you know what? Just as he would write to Timothy, it's, it's sure, it's worthy of full acceptance that the Lord came to save sinners of, of who Paul said he was the chief or the foremost he said, but it's for this very reason that I received mercy. Ultimately, I, I received that mercy so I could share that story with everybody, convince them of the truth of the gospel. You know, sometimes I think we miss 
uh, some of the impetus of the I am statements of the Lord found there in John's gospel. And if you remember, one of them is this subject matter. Remember, Jesus said, I am the the resurrection and the life. He says, that's who I am. And he would go on to say, he who believes in me, even if he dies, that everyone who lives in me and believes shall never die. And he asked the question, he says, do you believe this? You know why that is? Because a lot of people, even though they're Christians, have a tough time with life after death. Which life is the real life? What's the real you? Who's the real me? You realize the real you is the the eternal part? Sure, we have our little quirks and things that we do while we're here, and we have skills and talents and gifts and all those kinds of things, and we look a certain way. But if you haven't noticed, when you look in the mirror, as you age, you don't get better. Just saying. You know, you look and you're like, wow, that's I'm kind of falling apart here. You know, it's like, and, and I hate to tell you this, but every last one of you is going to croak one of these days. You're all going to die. Everybody's going to die. That's why I love what Jesus did. He said, even if you die, you're going to live. Amen? And the cool thing is, and we'll see that when we get to 2 Corinthians, you don't live on in this tent that you've got right now. And I'm really thankful for that. Because the one I have right now has knees that don't work all that well anymore. I have aches and pains just about in every joint in my body. You know, it's like, it's like, oh man, that kind of hurts. I used to be able to do that. You ever noticed how, you know, for teenagers, the berm can be six foot high and it looks two foot high, but for us, it could be two foot high and it looks six foot high. Why is that? It's all part of that earthly tent that you now have that's part of that resurrection that's coming that Jesus, when he died, secured for you not just eternal life, but an eternal body that's suited for the heavens. And one day, when you take your last breath on this earth and we head to heaven, we're going to have that body reunited with that soul in the resurrection of the dead. Because you're going to need it when you get here for the millennial reign of Christ, amen? Up in heaven, I don't know what we do up in heaven, but I know this, you got a body that's suited for there. When you come back to here, you're going to need a real body. That's why I tell people, I said, yeah, I don't know how big the fish are going to be during the millennial reign, but I'm pretty good size. I'm going to need some arms and legs because I'm going to have to reel those puppies in. So, so what the Lord is saying to us this morning through the Apostle Paul is, is we need to think eternally. That's what, when he said, I'm the resurrection and the life, what he's saying is, this life is not the life. The next life is the life. This one is, is frankly, I, I love my life. I wouldn't have it any other way. But I also know this life's not the life. I'm looking forward to the life that's without death and without sorrow and without pain. And I'll never, ever, ever again. Read a story of children that are murdered in the classroom. Never. I'm not going to hear of another war. I'm not going to hear of somebody tortured. Never going to happen. You see, I'm looking forward to that day when death dies. Right now, death's still around. Death's not dead yet. It's been defeated at the cross. The power to accomplish the task already taken care of. 
but it's still around. And we know that because people still die, amen? Even though Christ defeated death at the cross, he's not applied that victory yet to the world. He's coming back to do that. Hallelujah. One day there's going to be a time when there isn't going to be any more death. And I can't wait. When, when Jesus met with the disciples when he ascended into heaven, he actually asked them, he said there in Acts chapter 1, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? And what are you looking for? He says, this Jesus, which is taken from you, he says, one day you're going to see him come just as you watched him go. Amen. See, we're looking forward to that day. That's why the resurrection, I think people often are kind of scared because of the subject matter to actually get excited about the fact that one day the Lord is going to come again and the dead in Christ who have been raised up into newness of life, there, there is a resurrection of the dead. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, we're raised from the dead. And then he's going to defeat death itself. It's this tremendous event in human history. And we need to not shy away from it. You know, people sometimes look at you, because it's the truth, we know it's, I know it's the truth. The dead are going to be raised. The question is, where are they going to spend eternity? Sometimes we shy away from it because it sounds a little too, you know, sci-fi channel-ish. I'm thinking to myself, hallelujah, we need to tell people that there is going to be a resurrection of the dead. It says in verse 12, And now if Christ has preached that he might be raised from the dead, how do some, some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You get his point? So don't shy away from it. It's one of those tools that you can use in people's life. Ask them the question. You want to freak people out? Do this to them. What do you think happens when you die? You know, and just open the door. You'd be surprised. There's hardly anybody on this earth that you won't be able to have a conversation with about what do you think happens after you die. You're going to get some weird answers, by the way. That's when you tell them the truth. So you know what? My relationship with Jesus Christ has actually caused me to look forward to dying because one day I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. Not reincarnated. Oh, Lord, no, I don't want to come back in this body. I'd like a new one. Thank you very much. I sure don't want to come back as a mouse or a fly or something else, which is, you know, what some people believe. You know, I just, I would rather not do that. My Bible says if you believe in Him, that you're going to be raised in newness of life. Not in this old wasted body, but in a new tent that's suited for the heavens. A new body. And we're going to get to that as we get to verse 35. <laughs> See, there is resurrection from the dead. The Greeks at this time basically believed that people's bodies just ceased to exist, but their souls lived on. There are a huge number of people on this earth that believe that, by the way. Matter of fact, there are some, there are some ill-taught Christians that believe that's all that happens. Not true. You are one day going to be raised from the dead completely and wholly. Christ preached it. We believe it. Sometimes we spiritualize the afterlife. There, Bible's very clear. Notice what it says. And, and by the way, our world right now, we think about it in the negative, 
But our world is heading towards redemption. Amen? One day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That's redemption. You know, we, we hear all of the global warming horror, horror stories, you know, the climate change horror stories. The earth is, oh, it's going to one day disappear. It's supposed to. It's part of God's plan. Matter of fact, he's going to destroy this earth, and he's going to make a new one one day. God's in the resurrection business. Amen? He raises us up. He is going to one day create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. So if you don't ever get to go to Jerusalem, don't worry. You're going to see the new and improved version. Just saying. God's in the resurrection business. It's because of the resurrection we know Christ defeated death. And the resurrection is not a tragedy. Sometimes people look at, at, at the death of Christ and they have left it tragic. Was it a tragedy at the time? Yes. But it's also the greatest joy bringer in the course of human history. Because when Christ died, he was also raised. And because of that, you are one day going to be raised to newness of life. It's a joyous event. Make sure you don't miss that when you're talking to people. You don't have a dead Jesus, amen? That's why I have a little bit of a tough time, and I'm not here, I don't want to bag on anybody. But I have a tough time with people carrying a cross with Jesus still on it. He's not on it. He's at home in heaven, okay? He's not still out there paying the price for it. It's already been paid. He is not on the cross. Nothing else needs to be done. You don't need to pay your own way. He paid it for you. Very important distinction there. He's raised, and so shall you be. Verse 13, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, verse 14 says, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. If there's, if there's a dead Jesus, we're all in trouble. It is, in fact, the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Christ that proves that Christ defeated death and thereby can give eternal life to us. If he's dead, if he did not defeat death, if he was not raised, and you cannot also be raised, then we are all still dead in our trespasses and sins, and thereby we're going to one day perish, and when we take our last breath, it's not going to be good. But he is raised. Yes, it says in verse 15, we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ for whom he did not raise up. He, he's, he's saying, man, if you don't get this one thing right, then you don't have salvation in Christ Jesus. You can't miss this particular part. You can't bounce around it. You can't skip past it. You can't spiritualize it. The bodily resurrection of Christ is essential to your faith. Did you know that? A lot of Christians don't. The bodily resurrection of Christ is essential to your faith. Because if he's not raised, that means he died. It means you're not saved. For if in fact he did not rise from the dead, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, verse 17 says, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. He just simply states the plain truth. You've got to get that part correct. 
Then he goes on, and it's interesting, and I want to wind this down this morning. Notice verse 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. You get the picture? Everything hangs on the resurrection of Christ with regard to eternal life. That means every other person who's ever died is also still dead. Now, my Jesus is alive. That babe in a manger is also my risen Lord. Amen? That, that child who was born, that son who was given, has given us eternal life. And that life is abundant according to the Gospels. He says in verse 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ. He, he says, you know what? If, if all we've got is this life, we are in deep trouble. If all there is is this little miserable existence, you work, you know, maybe, you know, if you're like me, you started working when you're 15, 16 years old. I've been working full time since I was 17 years old. Other than two weeks, I have had a full-time job since I was 17 years old. Okay, so by the time I die, let's say I go another 20 years. You guys will be miserable indeed. But the bottom line is, at that point in time, I will have worked about 70 years of my life. Man, and this is it? That's like a bad deal. It's not good. The good news is, all of that had a purpose in Christ. And it isn't here. It's there. It says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. You realize that that, that would make us absolute nutcases if this is all there is. Because you know what? Let me shock you. You're giving up all your good sinning time. Man, you guys aren't out partying it up right now. You know, you're not doing what the world's doing. You're missing out. Isn't that how some people get drawn away into the world? They believe that lie. You know why? They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe that we live a resurrected life. They believe they've received the grace of God, but they're not looking forward to the time after you take your last breath. They have actually spiritualized it to just be here and now, and that's why they're miserable. They're wandering around going, oh, I'm missing this and I'm missing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm missing lying in my own vomit in some party somewhere. You think about it for a second, what most people are thinking they're missing. I'm missing having my life ripped apart by divorce. You know, I, I'm missing all these experiences. Thank God we're missing those experiences. Because you know what? I'm, I'm planning on enjoying the earth for a thousand years during the millennial reign of Christ. Okay? I'm just telling you. I'm going to go places I haven't ever been. I've been a lot of places, but I'm going places I haven't ever been. And the cool thing is, it won't cost me anything. I will not have to work anymore. I'm going to be wandering around. I'm going on like a probably a 50-year fishing expedition. Just going after all the big fish. I am going to kayak and fish for marlin. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know it ain't this life that I'm looking forward to. Praise the Lord that we're not the most pitiable. This is obviously a negative question. It's rhetorical. It's like, no, I'm looking forward to the life after this one. Verse 20, 
But now Christ is risen from the dead, and he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, because he's raised, we have the same confidence that we ourselves one day will be raised. Praise the Lord. Amen? Think about it. You know, because we don't all get a fair shake on this earth, do we? Think about it for a second. Do you know anybody who maybe has a physical disability? Do you know people who live right now, this day, in pain, and they can do very little? Do you know people who are born with maybe, maybe without the mental capacity that everybody else has? Do you know people born in poverty that stay there their entire life? The great equalizer of all humankind is the resurrection of Christ. Because it takes what is unfair right here and now for 70, 80, maybe 90 years and transforms us into an eternal kingdom to where all is good. And whatever you gave up now, whatever you didn't have now, whatever was pain and suffering and sorrow, you were that child that was killed in the prime of your life. God makes all that right in eternity. He takes care of it all. And if He didn't do that then one could say he's unfair and he's unjust. But he makes that available to all. He says, you know what? I've got a life that's better than the one that you're living, and it's going to last for all eternity. And that's the life I want you to have. And so he makes it available by grace. He said, but now Christ is risen from the dead, has become the first fruits of those who sleep. And for since by man came death, also by man came the resurrection of the dead. Jesus Christ was fully man, and he defeated death. And he became the first of the type of which we are the many of those who will believe and thereby not die. And so even as all in Adam die, so all in Christ shall be made alive. And then he goes on, and we'll pick up this theme as we take the rest of the chapter next time as we gather together after Christmas. But to each one in his own order, Christ in the first fruits afterward, those who were at his coming. In other words, by the time the second coming of the Lord happens, every single person who has ever believed in Christ is going to be raised from the dead. Hallelujah. I can't wait. You know, I sit there and think about the the time that I've wasted in my life. I think about the unfairness of life. I think about the difficulties of life. I think about the the pain, suffering, the wars. The, I, when I think about China, and, and I realize that, that a quarter of the world's population lives in that one nation, and a vast majority of them in intense poverty. I think about India, where, where someone can be sick and dying and left to die in the street as people walk by because they believe it would mess with their karma. There is only one thing that solves all those problems simultaneously, and that's the Lord coming again to raise us all in the newness of life. Rest in it. Trust in it. Believe in it. And if you haven't and you're here today, All it takes is the grace of God entering your life through believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because he was the first of that type. And he provided a way for each one of us because he said, I am, solely alone am I able to raise anyone from the dead who will believe in me. If that's you and you want to pray this morning after service, come up, let's pray, let's square away your eternal destination today before you leave this place. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness.
Lord, for your plan, which includes, Lord, one day a resurrected body. Lord, you've already given us new life in Christ for all who believe. And we know that, God, as we put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus, your Son, we know that we have life, and that life is eternal. can't be taken from us. Lord, we know that the things that you have promised us are sure and they're true and they're yes and amen. And as surely, Jesus, as you ascended unto heaven, one day we also will ascend unto heaven. Lord, we take that last breath on this earth. We're going to take that next breath in the heavenlies. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.